Hello, this is episode 330 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Riley. So the title of this podcast is Abuse in the Name of the Church. There's been a lot milling around on this, and then I found myself awake at 3 o'clock this morning processing the vote in Kansas today, which is pretty... Well, what it most reminds me of is a reverse version of the repeal the 8th referendum in 2015 in Ireland. And that was a massive deal. And I've only completed writing yet another chapter about that in a book that I'm working on. And on the, like, the psychological impacts of that referendum on young people. And if you want to read that, you're going to have to go over to my Patreon. I'm not going to talk about it anymore here. And I am going to record a special podcast on my Patreons today as well. On another aspect of womenhood that I'm working through as well. So the Pope's visit to Canada felt incredibly similar to his visit to Ireland in 2018. And he didn't get a very warm reception here because in 2017 there was a mass grave of babies found in a septic tank in Shum in Ireland over the other side of the country from me. And so he was greeted in his own language in Italian in having a lot of questions to answer. But for me then... And also, with the visit to Canada, there's been something missing. And people are not going to like this. And it's really interesting, because when I looked up the closure of the residential schools that Indigenous people were sent to and abused and tortured and killed small children, to basically, for those people who don't know anything about this, to have their innate truth and culture and sense of self schooled out of them, essentially. The majority of those residential schools were run by the Catholic Church. And interestingly, the last residential school closed in 1996. And I thought to myself, that's the same date of the last Magdalene Laundry was shut in Ireland. And it is. So I, I've kind of done this search and I'll come up with the answer. And there's probably somebody out there in astrology who can answer this. There was obviously some sort of an alignment in 1996 that allowed a sudden rebalance of power in terms of this, and allow maybe the secrets to come out, or people to stand up to them, or I, I don't know. With the Magdalene Laundries, basically, and, and this is why this is really topical to talk about today, any woman who found herself in trouble in Ireland was delivered to these spaces, pregnant, to give birth to a child with very little assistance, often having even been raped in the community by members of the clergy. And nobody talked about it, and everybody's family felt such fear from the church that they were very happy to deliver their own daughters to these establishments and for them to be locked up, and for their children to either be taken away from them, or in the case of the really horrendous Jum discovery, there appears to have been a lot of medical trials taken out on the children, and many of them died as a result. There's at least 800 babies in a mass grave. But in all of these centres and all these homes in Ireland, everyone knew what was taking place. There, there wasn't any secrets. Everyone knew what was taking place. Some people didn't know of their existence, maybe because their families might have been the sort of people to send them there, or it wasn't talked about, or they hadn't met people who hadn't experienced it. Or, But for a vast majority of people, they knew the abuse taking place. 
And I'm sure it's the same with the residential schools. What strikes me each time that these very difficult conversations come around and a figurehead, who is only a figurehead of an establishment, travels to a country to seek remorse and apologize. First of all, what strikes me is, and I, and I don't have an answer to this, but I'm, why does abuse go together with the church? I, I've never understood that concept. I've never understood how a religion with such values and structure and what should be humanity manages to facilitate abuse on so many levels and why the priests and the nuns within those establishments abuse people and why the average person, the average family is prepared to go along with that abuse in the name of the church and the people working for them are prepared to go along with the abuse. It's, it's never made sense to me, that, that part. And each time these conversations roll around, we have a, a figurehead that represents that establishment that has encased that abuse. Seek forgiveness. But we never have the individuals who abused or the families who facilitated it, and all the people who kept silent. We never have them seek forgiveness. We never have them take responsibility for their part in the process. There's something very extraordinary that happens within the mindset of the concept of the church that facilitates people leaving their own values and their own truth outside of it and going along with something. And this is exactly the same when I read about the vote in Kansas today, because you have people who are now hiding once again behind the church as a reason to make decisions that impact a lot of people, rather than encouraging people to have religion and values and being able to do what feels right for them and to have a freedom of choice with uh, an ethical value structure taking place. You, you still don't have that present. You still have people hiding behind the concept of the church. And in Ireland, that meant allowing women to die rather than meant it medically intervene to save their lives. And that's, that's what's being voted on today. So again, it's another form of abuse that is encased in this structure and that people can go along with that because they, I, I, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around it, but all I know is that it takes incredibly secure people to be able to be part of those values and that structure and that belief, but to also stay with their own truth. And that seems to happen so rarely. And we're now seeing this, like, I'm, I've already said I'm listening to the words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, you know, what strikes me is that it's an incredibly, it's in some ways it's an incredibly odd place to get to, that you have just over a handful of people responsible for the rights of so many people who are from a very clear-cut 
and legal standpoint holding up the constitution of a country. So you have the rights of so many people being cared for by such a small number of individuals. And that, again, like that, that requires so much. It requires them to, to have their own values and truth structure and to be very secure. And, and that's what comes across in, in her book overwhelmingly, that from a very young child, she was very secure in herself, very willing to take on other people's points of view, but also incredibly able to be very analytical and straightforward from a legal point of view in what that means, which is like there's very few people who can do that. And one of the earliest pieces of writing that she wrote at 13 was actually talking about Eleanor Roosevelt's part in the first UN meeting after the Second World War. And I have been thinking a lot about that in relation to Europe recently. I've been thinking that an American woman came over and was instrumental in creating a charter for human rights. And that in many ways, when Europe works, is one of those places that really does fulfill that document. But I'm starting to see that fray at the edges in the same way, in, in the same way as, as, as happens in the name of the church. But why do we hide behind an establishment for what's right and wrong, what's controlling others, what isn't? I still can't wrap my head around the fact that there are so many people who've been involved, like there's a, a web in every case that spirals out of individuals that have played their part to make these situations of abuse possible. And that when the big conversations start afterwards about accountability and responsibility to that, we rely on a figurehead to basically throw muck at. Like I remember that in Ireland in 2018 with the post-visit. I remember all these people out marching, but they never turned around and said to their own families, but you facilitated this. You didn't believe me. You didn't listen to me. You dropped me to the door of this establishment. You cared more about what our neighbours thought than my life. At no point did people turn around and point the fingers at their own families. It's so much easier to do that with a figurehead. And it's the same with this vote today. It's so much easier to control people and to make the parameters of existence so narrow in the same way as the church has for so many years now, hundreds of them. It's so much easier to do that than it is to vote in secureness and to, to be the sort of person that allows other people to have a choice over their own bodies. And it will lead to other forms of abuse to not have that openness and that choice. I have no doubt of that. I've lived in Ireland for the consequences of it. It's in my living memory. Unfortunately, in the American psyche at the moment, it may not be in some people's living memory what it was like to live in an America before Roe versus Wade that may not be in people's living memory. 
And we're getting to a point in Ireland where people are getting further and further and further from the abuse and the accountability. And it may not be in their living memory. But every time we try to atone for these cases of abuse, we never ask the individuals to be responsible for their part that they've played. The same structure that facilitates the abuse ironically hides the responsibility of the individuals to be accountable for what they have done in its name. But I still can't wrap my head around why that structure facilitates abuse in the first place. I, I struggle to do that. I, I struggle to understand how you can erode your own truth and your own sense of how you should treat someone else in the name of an institution. I just can't wrap my head around that. I don't think I ever will.